Good morning. What a lovely time of worship this morning in the presence of the Lord. And I believe that uh, the message that the Lord's laid on my heart this week has already, in a sense, started percolating. I'm trying to think the right word. Um, in this place today, and that the, the Lord's already at work doing what I believe that God is uh, desiring to do amongst us. Uh, for those who are visiting today, or perhaps you've not been around for a few weeks due to holidays, we've um, been working our way through a series called Pit Stops in the Psalms, and we said that um, this isn't all about our heads, but it's more about our hearts. And uh, we are just opening our hearts, and we're stopping at various Psalms, and allowing uh, God to speak to us through them. And this morning, uh, the psalm that we are looking at is Psalm 42, but that then goes on into Psalm 43 as well. Uh, many of the psalms are written by David, but uh, the psalms that we're looking at this morning, 42 and 43, were written by the sons of Korah, who were involved in temple worship as musicians and singers. Now, most Bible scholars will tell us that uh, Psalms 42 and 43 were not originally two separate psalms, but they were one psalm. And uh, we're going to read them in a moment. And as we read them, I think that will become uh, fairly obvious to us. The psalm as a structure, you know, we've been uh, singing some great songs this morning and learning some great songs. What a lovely new song that was, uh, John, this morning. Thank you for bringing that to us. The psalm uh, that we're looking at as structure of verses and choruses and the first verse of this uh, song would be the first four verses in our Bibles, which is followed by a chorus or refrain. And I'll put that up on screen for you now. And it says there, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And this refrain that you see on screen is found three times in the, uh, the psalm. Uh, 42 and 43. It's found in verse 5. Then we have the second verse and it's found in verse 11. And then we have the third verse at the beginning of uh, Psalm 43 and it's found again in verse 5. So what I would like us to do this morning is that I will read the psalm, but when I come to the chorus, I would like us to read the chorus together. Okay, here we go. As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise, even the festive throng. Why so stirred within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Misa, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones will suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. 
saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And now we flip into uh, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked, for you are God my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that through this ancient worship song, we will be given eyes to see, that we will be given believing hearts and obedient wills, that you will change in us what needs changing. For your glory we pray. Amen. Well, the writer or writers of Psalm 42 and 43 are obviously going through uh, a tough time spiritually. And this refrain that we said together a few moments ago in those verses is essentially what the psalm is all about. It's a key to understanding. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, I think it was yesterday I was uh, just mulling over what I was going to say this morning, and I um, decided to look up the word downcast in a thesaurus, and it came, ac- came across a lot of other D words. Uh, dejected, disillusioned, discouraged, depressed, disheartened, disappointed, and down. I feel down today. Uh, I said last week, um, because this, in a sense, this theme continues really from where we were last week. I said last week that there are many reasons for a person to feel this way. And some people have a genetic predisposition towards depression, which, of course, doesn't mean that um, they'll inevitably get depression or suffer with depression because their parent or parents suffer with depression. But genetics do play a part uh, in mental illness and with depression. And some people, it appears, are more susceptible than others because uh, of their genes. Now, some people also have a chemical imbalance in their brains which affects mood swings and causes them to feel low. And um, for them, it's nothing to do really with faith or lack of faith or God or gaining some victory over their condition. For them, it's essentially a physical thing. Uh, It's a well-known fact, for example, a medical fact, that uh, due to lack or imbalance of uh, serotonin or adrenaline or endorphins in the brain can create mood swings or depression. Why am I saying that? Well, what I'm trying to say here is that there is more than one reason for a person to be downcast. And the writer of this psalm doesn't deal with every cause of depression. He's not writing as a scientist. And he's not writing as a medical doctor. 
He's probably never heard of endorphins. Well, I can probably put my mortgage on it that he hadn't heard of endorphins. But what he has to say is very valid. And uh, so often the causes of depression and despair are not psychiatric or medicinal, they are spiritual. And that's really where this psalmist is coming from this morning. So if the reason for depression is physical, then I believe a cure for that is perhaps in medical intervention, or at least in prayer for healing. But if the reason for depression is spiritual or emotional, then for someone to pop a pill, whether it's diazepam or some other antidepressant, it's really just dealing with the symptom, not dealing with the cause, which isn't brilliant. And if the cause of discouragement is, is, is spiritual, then I think that the lessons of this psalm will be of enormous benefit this morning to us. And what this psalm shows us, I believe, is important for all of us. Because if you have not experienced those times in your life when heaven is silent and when God appears to be um, uh, absent, then I'm pretty sure that that will come at some time. It's this ministry of encouragement that I've got. And I just want to encourage you this morning with those words. That there may come a day when you, even though you are in God's house this morning praising God, there will come a day when you won't feel quite the same. And you will ask uh, and question everything that you believed. Was it real? Was it all smoke and mirrors? Was God real? Uh, is heaven one day awaiting me? And so forth. Now, some of the greatest Christians down through the uh, ages um, are people who have suffered the greatest spiritual despair. I think of people, people like Martin Luther, that great Augustinian monk who was an architect of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Basically, this was a man who changed the face of Christendom. Now, Luther uh, often experienced spiritual depression and discouragement, and he had times of profound aloneness, times when he uh, lost faith in the goodness of God. There were times in his writings when he spoke of the fog that seemed to descend and cloud his hope and his happiness. On one occasion, there's a great story of uh, Luther. He was driven to the brink of despair, and he said that the devil was so real to him that he actually threw an ink pot uh, in the devil's direction. And the stain was found for quite some time uh, after on the wall in a room in Wartburg Castle. Now, whether there's any truth in that legend or not, I, I, I'm not sure. But the point is that this great man of God often experienced what the ancients called the dark night of the soul. And he wasn't the only one by a long way. There are many people that we read of in scripture. There are many people who were the superheroes of faith down through the ages who also uh, suffered in this way. So I think that as we are coming to this psalm this morning, the best thing for us to do is to try to understand what was going on there uh, in this psalmist, why he was speaking as he did, and what were the reasons for his discouragement. He's obviously struggling here spiritually. He's downcast, he's discouraged, he's spiritually depressed. In verse 7, we read, All your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
which is a wonderful picture, wonderful metaphor of what life had been like for him, for the psalmist. It seems as if there was one wave after another wave after another just coming his way. Now, Julie and I had a great holiday a couple of months ago. We um, went to the Greek island of Kefalonia, um, just off the coast of Greece and uh, in the Adriatic Sea there. And as most Greek islands, the weather was quite idyllic, quite superb, uh, except for one day. And it was a day when the winds came and um, uh, the sea was tumultuous and wave after wave kept crashing on the, on the shore. And I'm quite a strong swimmer and I was just utterly exhausted by this experience and I tried to body surf the waves for a, for a while and it was great fun. But I just kept knock, being knocked over all the time. And as soon as I stood up, I was being knocked over by the next wave. And I noticed that I was being sh shoved down shore quite considerable distances. I was absolutely exhausted. And this is the picture, I think, of the psalmist that he's painting for us. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Basically, one thing after another kept raining down on him. No time to recover. He was exhausted. And maybe, just maybe... That's the way that you are feeling this morning. Maybe that's something that you can relate to. Those times in your lives when you just seem to experience one thing after another after another in your life. And you have barely time to recover, barely time to breathe before the next onslaught comes your way. And then in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? And why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? So it seems here that um, appears that the psalmist in his heart of hearts uh, doesn't actually uh, believe that God has forgotten him. Because immediately before he says those words, why have you forgotten me? If you look at your Bibles, verse 8, before he says that, why have you forgotten me? He actually declares his faith in God, verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love. By night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And then even at the beginning of verse 9 he says, I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? In other words, what's happening here I believe with this psalmist is that he believes in God. But due to what life is throwing at him, he feels that he is forgotten, forsaken, abandoned, deserted even rejected by God. And it appears that he is saying, if you haven't forgotten me, then why are all these bad things happening to me? If you haven't forgotten me, then why aren't my enemies defeated? If you haven't forgotten me, then why don't you answer my prayers? You see, you might have asked those same questions on some occasion uh, yourself and maybe some of you this morning that you are asking those questions of yourself why is it all this going on in my life lord if you haven't forgotten me then why are you letting all these things happen in my life it seems one thing after another it seems as if all these waves and breakers are sweeping over me lord is there any let up lord i feel as if i'm drowning do you know what? I think it's perfectly okay to say to God, why? Why, God? Those, that, that, that question, you know, we're not being disrespectful to God at all. And I think it's okay. It's a question that I've said to God on many, many occasions. Why, God? Why? Sometimes because of things that were happening in my own life. And sometimes when I look at what's happening in the world, 
Why God? It's an okay question. And you see, if that were not bad enough, his enemies had witnessed what is going on and they taunt him. Where is your God? And we find that in verse 3 and verse 10. Where is your God? So he's not only struggling here with his own thoughts about God, but he's actually being mocked and ridiculed by his enemies. And they're saying to him, if your God is real, as you claim, then why are all these bad things happening to you? The very question that he was struggling with himself is the question that were coming from the lips of his enemies as they were taunting him. I suppose a little bit like rubbing salt in the wound, isn't it? I'm sure that many of us who are in conversation with our families and friends, our work colleagues about the Christian faith, from time to time, that we will also be taunted with those words, where is your God now? Certainly when the major disasters occur in the world, you know, whether it's a tsunami or an earthquake or a mudslide or a shooting in a school, where is your God now? And the emotions are raw. And unless you're a skilled apologist, attempting to answer these questions, I don't think is ever easy, is it? That we feel very much on the back foot, feeling that we somehow need to defend God's honor and God's character. And it's hardly any wonder why he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Now, just work this one out with me. If tears had been his food, then he's not eating. And if he's shedding tears at night, he isn't sleeping either. You don't shed tears when you're asleep. So whatever his problem was, there seems to be a physical part to this as well. He's being worn down physically, as well as mentally, as well as spiritually. Now, I think that the, the, the physical and the spiritual parts of us are very much connected. You know, we can't separate them. That the physical can affect the spiritual and the spiritual can affect the, 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 the physical. Now, last week we mentioned the prophet uh, Elijah. On one occasion, he sat under a broom tree and cried out to God and said, I've had enough, Lord, just take my life. And that was just one day after he had won a mighty battle on Mount Carmel, over the, the, the false prophets of Baal. So how did God deal with Elijah? Well, if you know your Bibles, God dispatched an angel who cooked him, who, who cooked him some food. Bacon. <laughs> it doesn't say that in my Bible. It might have been. Perhaps not. He was a Jew. <laughs> you know, see, this, this guy was so exhausted, so hungry that the solution was some food and some sleep and the whole world looked a different place. You know, sometimes we can be too spiritually minded for our own good. That, you know, we can have all these ideas about, you know, sort of the reasons for depression and being downcast and all the rest and the devil's having a go at it. And sometimes, you know, it's none of that. It's just that you need to get physically in shape or you need to sleep or you need some food. But it also works the other way as well. The spiritual can affect the physical. And depression and discouragement can uh, make us not want to eat. It can rob us of our sleep. Certainly there are times, I'll be honest with you, there are times that I have not slept 
because of that which has been going on in my mind, turning it over. And that's not a good situation. And very often it happens on a Saturday night. I wonder why that is. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've got to look at all your wonderful faces on a Sunday morning. No, it's not that at all. I think that there's something else going on there. Because there are times I look at myself and I think, oh, Lord, what have I got to bring? What can I bring? How can I share? It's such a responsibility. And there is that sense of, oh, almost the dark night of the soul. And you might have experienced that as well. It would appear to me as well that there's another factor in this man's hopelessness, which uh, is that he can't go to the house of God. Now, when that's been spoken of there, what is being referred to is the temple in Jerusalem in the southern part of Judah, where he, as a musician, worshipped and played his music. So why couldn't he go there? And the reason for that, if we look in the psalm, is because he's now living in the north of the country. How do we know that? Well, we are told in verse 6, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mesa. But what happened? How did he get to that place? Well, we're not told. But the fact that he remembers a time when he went to the, the temple under the protection of the mighty one. Now, that's a really interesting verse if you've got your Bibles there. Verse 4. That phrase, under the protection of the mighty one. What does that say to you? To me, that says or implies that he is not experiencing that same level of protection at this point. And it might have been that he had been kidnapped or exiled to be in another place by a foreign army, perhaps. This is a man who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, hundreds of years before the Spirit was outpoured at Pentecost. And he equated, just catch this, he equated meeting God with worshipping in a certain building in the Temple of Jerusalem. And since this was no longer available for him to attend, the temple ceremonies and festivals, he looks back with a measure of despair. Now, we are not Old Testament people. We live post-Christ, post the outpouring of the Spirit. And as New Testament Christians, we know that God is not confined to buildings, that God is with us at all times by his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And we can enjoy God in creation, we can go up to the mountains and enjoy God and by the sea and enjoy God and through animals and humans and beauty and diversity in the world. And we can meet God by reading our Bibles and praying. And actually we can meet God in most things because after all, the scriptures tell us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So why do we need to meet with other Christians to experience God? And the answer, I believe, to that, because there's a special kind of encounter with God when we worship regularly alongside other believers. It's an encouragement of fellowship. It's a togetherness with people of like mind. It's a spurring one another on. It's a mutual motivation. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, we read, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who, is promised, who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I've encountered God in many places. Mountains are great places, and I love encountering God by the sea, you know, sort of being a South Walian. But as precious as those times are, they don't really give me what I've experienced this morning in this place. Are you with me on this? You know, we didn't plan all really that was going to happen and the way that God was going to speak to us through each other this morning. You know, Jane's great testimony. You know, if we hadn't been here this morning, if we had been up on that mountaintop experiencing God in creation, we wouldn't have heard that. We wouldn't have been encouraged and so forth. And I think that this being together, there is something more that we get for our encouragement. And you see, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. Because if you are suffering from discouragement, then you need to be in a place where you can be encouraged. Yeah? You know, that's, uh, that's not profound or anything like that. That's, that's a no-brainer. And yet, what many people do, it seems, is isolate themselves from brothers and sisters in Christ, and they do the opposite of what they need to do, which is totally, totally counterproductive. Now, there were a number of reasons why this man was discouraged. You know, as we look through the psalm together, there was the physical, there was the emotional, there was the spiritual. But how does he respond to this uh, discouragement? And uh, what can we do when we are feeling downcast and discouraged? And the psalmist gives us uh, four things to do here. Four responses to discouragement. First of all, he pulls out his heart. Uh, he's honest, he's open, he's transparent. He doesn't hide his feelings away. He tells God how it is. He doesn't hold back. Look at his words in uh, the start of Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. What are you saying? I, I remember how it used to be. I remember I used to lead the procession into the house of God, but I don't feel your presence anymore. Have you forgotten me? Why are you allowing your enemies to taunt me? Can't you do anything, God? Vindicate me, rescue me, send me your light. And I would say to you this morning, if you are feeling downcast or discouraged or disheartened, then I would encourage you too to pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. Talk to God about what you feel. He knows anyway. He knows anyway. And if you don't feel God's presence, or if maybe you've been in this service this morning and you've been uh, singing along dutifully with everybody else, but you felt nothing, talk to God about it. Talk to the absent God about his absence. Tell him how much you miss him. Make a decision again to meet regularly with other Christians. Join a life group. Don't walk out on him. Don't become a hit and miss Christian. Turn towards him, not from him. The second thing that the psalmist does uh, here is that he affirms God's sovereign love. In verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
In verses 5 and 11, he speaks of God as his saviour and God. In verse 9, he speaks of God as his rock. So in other words, what's happening here, in spite of everything that he is going through, he still makes the decision to trust in God and in God's sovereign love to him. Despite the adversity, he still believed that God was in control. Even though he was going through the furnace, he still desired to believe that God is the one who had his hand on the thermostat. This affirmation really prevented him from spiritually capsizing in the storms of life. You know, we sing a song, and we might have time to sing it later on, uh, Voice of Hope, and one of the uh, verses in that song says, And through the storm, yet I will praise you. Despite it all, yet I will sing. Through good and bad, yet I will worship. Why? For you remain the same king of kings. In other words, what is being said here in this psalm is what is being said in that, that chorus of that song. That God is a sovereign God. And when we get to these places to affirm his sovereign love to us, we are saying that God, you're still in control. You still remain the same, king of kings. You're still there. No one has knocked you off the throne yet. You are the majestic one. You are the one who is absolute control. You are the Lord of all. The third thing that the psalmist does and we need to do as well is to remember the grace of God. I think our memories are a gift from God and the psalmist says in verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore, very, very, I think I've told you many times before, watch out for those words, therefore. My soul is downcast within me, therefore, or for that reason, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Misa. In other words, what he's saying here, let, let me get to the point. He's saying, because I am going through discourage, discouragement, I will make a conscious effort to look back on those times when I experienced your presence. Because I am going through this tough time, I am going to draw strength quite deliberately by looking back at those times. I'm going to reminisce on those times when you demonstrated your amazing and unfaithful love to me. I will remember your faithfulness and I will give thanks to it. Not in some kind of nostalgic way, but rather I'm going to look back in order to fill my heart full Am I mindful of God's grace and faithfulness in past days? And then, fourthly, he does something quite remarkable, actually. He talks to his own heart. And that's what those three refrains or choruses are all about. The psalmist, is not, the psalmist rather, is not uh, talking to, to God at this point. He's talking to his own soul. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. I've got one tip for you. If and when you do that, make sure you're alone. Okay? Because if you're talking to yourself, you know, it, it gives the wrong impression probably. Seriously, as a point here, there are days perhaps when we wake up, when our hearts are doing all the talking. Yesterday was a bad day. Today's looking worse. Think of all those struggles ahead of you. 
Think of all those awkward people you have to meet. Think of all those terrible people you have to stand before. <laughs> Think of all your responsibilities. It's going to be a bad day. Besides, when did anything ever go right for you? You see, what we need to do is to actually stop listening to those negative thoughts and we need to start talking. Heart, shut up. I'm going to do the talking now. And we now need to start speaking truth to our hearts. Heart, why are you downcast? Heart, why are you so disturbed within me? Heart, why are you acting as if there is no God? You are responding as if my life is in the hands of fate. You're acting as if there is no hope any longer. Come on, heart. Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins and rose again triumphant over the grave. And some of you are looking rather strangely at me at the moment. So obviously you've been in pl not in a place where you ever you've spoken to your, your own heart before and you probably don't know what to say. Well, let me give you a clue. Let me give you some help here. If you're not really sure what to say to your own heart when all these negative thoughts come your way, I would suggest going to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Let me show you how this is done. Heart, I want you to listen just now. And then you start quoting. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for you, who can be against you? Have you got that one, heart? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Are you still listening, heart? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect, it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised is the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Come on, heart, you're so clever. Answer that one. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, heart. Level with me. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And this morning, if you are struggling with discouragement, that's, there are four things there that you can do. First of all, pour out your heart to God. Talk to him honestly. Be transparent about everything. He knows what you're going through anyway. Secondly, affirm his sovereign love. Remind yourself that he is still on the throne. That he is God. He is Lord of all things. He is majesty. Thirdly, Remember God's grace is unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted favor to you. And look back in your life and think about all those times when he has bestowed blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life. And fourthly, talk to your own heart. Doing it out loud is optional. Okay. 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 I'm going to come into land just in a few moments. You see... All we need to remind ourselves, uh, really, we need to remind ourselves 
And the thing perhaps more important than anything else that we need to remind ourselves is that our hope is found in Jesus. That is the most important. You know, the psalmist who lived before Christ couldn't say that. But we can. That our hope is found in Jesus. You know, the psalmist there in the psalm cries out, my soul thirsts for God. And our hope is found in the one who on the cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago said, I thirst, as he died for our sin. The psalmist cried out, why have you forgotten me? Our hope is found in the one who cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who took our guilt and our shame upon himself. The psalmist was taunted by others, where is your God? Our hope is found in the one whose friends turned away from him and whose enemies said, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. The psalmist shed tears day and night. Our hope is in the one who shed tears at his friend's graveside and over a rebellious city on Palm Sunday. Our hope is in a high priest who is able to empathize with our weakness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. So let me just finish there with not verse 15, but the following verse. To the writer of Hebrews, he says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.